my story is I was rebellious and just unfocused, but there's some amazing people who saw something that I didn't see and chose to go out of their way and drag me kicking and screaming to invest in me. I was really, really, really given an amazing opportunity to work in the grad lab with a bunch of PhD students. I had nowhere else to go. They were there and I was just sharing with them, being vulnerable with them. All these Christian folks in the grad lab were there for me when I was at my darkest hour. I mean, sometimes people are right there, right next to you, and God is doing something for you through them. You just do not even realize that it's happening. One of the areas that I think we have felt we have been blessed is through our marriage and those who mentored us. Bill and Rita Davis are our marriage mentors. I feel like they were the ones that really ended up segueing our approach to who we interact with, how we interact with a church. The mentor-mentee relationship is something that we've really embraced. It's all about the seeds that you sow and investing in other people and not about the harvest you reap because God will take care of that and given enough seeds, you will bear fruit. By investing in people, I'm all in. Good morning, Austin Oaks Church. So good to be with you. Name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here. Our passion is to be simply about Jesus because we believe that when you encounter him, it changes everything. And that's why we do all that we can in our power to help people to meet, know, and follow Jesus. We are in this series called All In, as we're looking at what does it mean to be captivated by Jesus and looking ahead to what is the vision or what is the, the goal or the mandate that God has given our church. And so we've been laying this out and it comes into a narrative um, statement that we see this happening by 2025. And I wanted to bring it to your attention again. We want to be the movement. We don't want to be static. We don't want to be stagnant. We want to be the movement that sees ATX saturated with the gospel by developing disciples so that the emerging generations will be captivated by Jesus. I hope that when you see this, not only do you see the aspect of belonging to a church family, I hope that you see in there an opportunity and a calling to fulfill and uphold your responsibility to see the mission through. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you about the significant aspect of what does it mean to invest into people? What does it mean to have a responsibility within the church? I want you to think about these two aspects of this vision statement of developing disciples so that the emerging generations would be captivated by Jesus. Now, I know that God has something for you specifically this morning. I know he's going to challenge you specifically this morning. So I don't want you just to think about it. I want you to think about how you will tangibly invest your time and your energy to see this through to uphold your responsibility within the church of Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, I ask that this morning you would be our guide, you would be our teacher. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes, soften our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, I ask that you would stir us up 
Would you stir up faith? Would you convict us of sin and stir us onto good deeds? Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision and a heartbeat for the church. Help us to see it the way that you see it. And so, Lord, I ultimately ask that I would speak your words this morning. Things that I might think are important to be said, if they're not on your heart, God, would you stop me from saying it? Lord, we are here for you. We long to hear from you and we long to meet with you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, a little bit about me. I am um, not an avid outdoorsman by any stretch of the imagination. I wish I was. I wish I would go hunting. I wish I would do all those things, but I never grew up doing it. The only thing I really did growing up was fishing, and that was on occasions. And growing up in Wisconsin, the fishing that we would do was for bullheads. I don't even know if you know what a bullhead is. It's like a sick-looking version of a catfish. That's what a bullhead was. And we would do it every now and then. And so a few years ago, back in Minnesota, that passion for fishing sort of reemerged, and, and I would go fishing here and there, and I wasn't the best at it, but like for me, fishing wasn't just about going out in nature and being by the lake. Like some people would be like, I don't mind like going fishing and not catching anything because I just like being outside. I'm like, yeah, that's fine and all, but if you like, you know, if you have any idea about the north, like you are like one of the things that people warned us about when we moved to Texas was like, oh, you got to be worried about those mosquitoes. And I'm like, mosquitoes? Okay, your mosquitoes here are like little babies, okay? The mosquitoes in Minnesota, Wisconsin, you can hear them coming a half mile away. In fact, they're the state bird of Minnesota. And so it's like, if you go fishing, like it's nice to be outside, right? But you're like, you just smell like off, you're just clothed in it. So it's like, for me, if I go fishing, I enjoy the nature. I absolutely do, but I'm a competitor. And if I don't catch any fish, I feel like I lost, right? Like it doesn't matter how many fish I catch. I got to catch at least one. Otherwise, I feel like I wasted my time. Nonetheless, that has nothing to do with the story. But I love fishing. And so I love my family and I wanted them to enjoy the passion. And so this was like my first attempt of trying to introduce fishing to my kids and to my wife. I was like, hey, let's go. And after some begging and pleading, I finally convinced them to go because they didn't understand why you would just do that. And plus they also thought that every time you throw the line in, you'd catch a fish, right? Like that's the point, right? Like otherwise, why are we doing this? So we would go to the store called Flea Farm to get all the baits and all the tackle and all the things that we needed to go. And as we're going around shopping, my wife stops me and she goes, what about the snacks? And I, I looked at her, I was like, snacks? We're going fishing. Yeah, but what about all the snacks? And, and as she said that, all of a sudden, like, the kids got involved. Like, yeah, dad, what about the snacks? And I was like, listen, the snacks are the fish we're going to catch. We're going fishing to catch fish. But we're not going fishing to have a picnic, okay? Let's get that straight. So nonetheless, I lost. We got snacks, a lot of snacks and an abundant amount of snacks, we go fishing a minute in. I kid you not, a minute in. They're all at the picnic table eating snacks. I'm fishing. At some level, that's okay, because if you ever, like, tried to take your kids fishing, you actually don't fish. You spend all the time untangling their lines and baiting their hooks and all that kind of stuff. So I got to fish. But, like, as they finished their snacks, though, they're like, we're bored. And I'm like, you're not fishing. Yeah, but I don't understand. You're not catching anything. I was like, guys, the purpose of fishing is to go fishing. The purpose of fishing isn't to have snacks. Like they understood it as like fishing is just something you do in order to have snacks. I'm like, no. And so we would have this argument in there. Uh, 
I needed to actually kind of get that off my chest a little bit because even still to this day, we would go fishing. We went fishing in Florida, even though it was a running joke. Immediately they asked, Dad, what are we going to have for snacks? I'm like, fishing is for fishing. You can have snacks and fish, but it's about fishing. Okay, saying all that, there is a point. What's the purpose of being a Christian? What is the purpose of being a follower of Jesus? Some would say it's about being good, being moral, and being ethical, right? The golden rule, like do good to others as you would have them do to you. To love other people. To tell other people about Jesus. To know your scripture, etc., etc., etc. Sure, those are all good things. Those are all parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But if we were to look at Scripture, and even as we talked about last Sunday, that the ultimate purpose of being a follower of Jesus is to be captivated with Jesus, to love him with everything you got. Because out of that flows everything else. In fact, if you remember last week, we talked about that in Revelation chapter 2, that you could be about everything else. And if you abandon the love that you had at first, if you fail to remember that it's about how he loved you and now how we're compelled by his love, that's like fishing is no longer about fishing. It's fishing is all about the snacks. It's we're confusing the purpose. You see, we are compelled by a love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Our beginnings in following Jesus starts when we realize how much God has done for us. We are in need of a savior. We're dead in our sins. We're, we're slave to our sins. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves alive. We need a savior. And God sent his son who knew no sin to be sin for us. He gave himself up for us. He took upon our shame upon himself so that we could be free, so that we could have life. And we realize and we experience that love of Christ. And that compels us into wanting to follow Jesus, into wanting to obey him. In fact, Jesus would even say multiple times in the gospels that if you love me, you will obey me. And that's not a manipulative thing to say. He's saying that is like a natural flow out of what it means to be compelled by the love of Christ. The ultimate purpose of being a Christian is to love God with our everything. And out of that flows everything else. Love God with your heart, mind, and soul and then love your neighbor as yourself. Everything finds its rightful place, and sanctification and transformation all happens when we focus squarely on Jesus. Those things naturally start to happen, and there's a responsibility that we have to uphold as we move in this way. Following Jesus is so much more than about me and Jesus. There's so many things in evangelical Christianity today that sometimes mess up how we see what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Like one of the phrases that we say often, even though we mean well, that can get totally misconstrued and misunderstood is your personal relationship with Jesus. It's true. You have an individual relationship with Jesus. That's important. 
right? That's your responsibility to nurture that, to stay in love, to let the fan, of, uh, to fan in the flame that Christ has given you. But if we constantly think about that, it's just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, we fail to remember that we are a family, that we are a body, that we belong with each other, that the blood of Christ purchased an uncommon unity that is unlike anything else in this world. And that because of that, that we as a family, as a church, have been given the most compelling and significant mission in all the world. And that's what I want to talk to you today. Is that the heartbeat of following Jesus is ultimately about loving him. And some would even push back, be like, yeah, but Brandon, isn't it the ultimate heartbeat about glorifying God? Yes, it is. Well, how do you glorify God best? It's when you are captivated by Jesus and you allow him to dominate you, to captivate you, to control you. The love of Christ controls you and then the fruit of the Spirit come. And then when people see your good deeds and see the fruit there, they give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And there's one destination that following Jesus will always lead us to. It will always lead us to one clear responsibility, always always. And that is to invest in people. And that is to be a disciple who makes disciples. To be a discipler. So let's look at Matthew chapter 28 for a moment. And I want to encourage you. I know for some of us in this room, we've been in church world for a while. And we go Matthew 28, we immediately go, oh, that's a great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. I know that one. I've heard that before. I want to encourage you just to approach this with fresh eyes and open ears and an open heart to hear it. Maybe specifically the way that God would have us hear it this morning as it relates to this time and this place and this call that the Lord has given us as a church. In Matthew chapter 28, the context is so significant, okay? It's the very last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Now what's previously happened is that Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, right? And he was buried and three days later, he resurrected from the dead kind of a big deal. And he's walked around, he's showed himself to be alive from the dead to other people, and also we got the 11 disciples, and other people are seeing him, and there's a following now around Jesus, and here comes now this final message, this final teaching that Jesus gives his disciples before he ascends to be with the Father in heaven. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. So Jesus told them to go ahead, say, I want to meet you at this mountain. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. I love the, the authenticity of scripture. Like, look at this. Like, I, I, this catches me every time. And I'm always like, God, thank you for putting this in here. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Like, think about that for a moment. Like, they're seeing the resurrected king of kings, right? And, but like, there's people around there that are worshiping, but there's some that are doubting. Now, like, this picture is so significant. Even though Matthew mentions the 11 disciples, there's a good argument to be made that it could have been other people involved because we know that there were some 500 people that were also following Jesus at that time that believed in him. But it's a lot like church. Like, they came to a place to make themselves available to hear Jesus, to hear what Jesus would have for them. It's, it's like you're coming here 
to sort of make yourself available to God, to present yourself to God. And some of us are here to worship him. And let's just be honest, there's some of us in this room that are doubting him. And in that context, post-resurrection, Jesus gives the greatest call, the greatest mandate, the greatest mission ever, ever. And the heartbeat of Christianity is really wrapped up right in here. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There's a love, friends, there's a love that compels us. It's the gospel. It's remembering that Jesus died for you. Conquered death, the grave, and Satan for you, for the world. That love compels us. It controls us. It captivates us. And as we are controlled and compelled by that, it moves us right to this purpose. The Holy Spirit can lead you no other direction than to this purpose. In fact, a lot of people give up on Christianity or they get uh, disillusioned with Christianity because they try to make it about themselves or they try to make it about moralistic deism. I got to be better. I got to be good. And we fail to remember that it's about upholding a responsibility. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus made it clear. It's like, listen, don't go out. Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Because when that Holy Spirit comes upon you, then and only then would you be empowered to be my witnesses. It's almost as if to say that the Holy Spirit was given to us to uphold a responsibility. And a lot of times we struggle to understand the Holy Spirit because, quite frankly, we don't uphold this responsibility. We just try to make it about me and Jesus and my experience with Jesus. But if you're a follower of God, you're a disciple. That means you're a student. You are a pupil. In fact, that's how the early church was described. They weren't described as Christians early on. They didn't call themselves Christians. We only see the word Christian show up three times in the whole New Testament. And when it does, it's usually seen in a negative sense. It's like an insult given to those who followed Jesus. The term that was given to those who followed Jesus in the New Testament was disciple. Now imagine how that would change how we saw things. Instead of saying, I'm a Christian which a lot of times we can say, and a lot of times people say, like, I'm a Christian, that means I'm culturally a Christian. I've been born and raised in the church. I've been baptized, confirmed, all this kind of stuff, but yet I don't really embrace the way of Jesus, but I'm a Christian. But what if we just started to say, I'm a disciple. I'm a student. I'm a follower of Jesus. I do what he says. I do what he does. I'm imitating him. Because when we follow him, he's always going to lead us right to this moment. Go therefore. That mandate comes on the heels of the phrasing authority. All authority has been given to me. When Jesus conquered the grave, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He rules over all. And he's going to exercise that authority by giving the church the mandate of building his kingdom. 
And I love this because what he's saying to his disciples is saying, listen, all of these other power regimes are out there, but listen, all authority has been given to me. It's all mine on heaven and on earth. Because it's all been given to me and because I'm Lord of Lords, go therefore. I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you a mandate. I'm giving you a purpose that you will find great significance and fulfillment in. Go, therefore, all authority has been given to me. He's the Lord of lords. Friends, listen. I'm going to step on someone's toe. I don't know whose, and I'm not trying to be cheeky here. But one of the things that really bothers me is when we say these phrases like, have you made Jesus Lord of your life? As if we have the authority to make Jesus Lord. Friends, listen. He is Lord of your life. He's Lord of lords. He's king of kings. He's over all. It's just a matter, are you going to willingly submit and surrender to his lordship on this side of eternity? Because I'm telling you, at some point in your life, when you see King Jesus riding on the clouds coming down, you're going to go, oh boy, Lord of lords. On this side, he's, he's imploring us through grace and through the message of Jesus Christ, through the church, to recognize that. And to surrender our lives over to him. All authority has been given to me. So therefore, if you're going to follow me, and if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, listen, this is the responsibility that is yours. This phrase, all authority, means this is non-optional. This is not an option for the church. If you are a disciple of Jesus, this is what he's asking you to do. And this is what he's going to lead you to do. A disciple learns to be a discipler. He exercises the authority that's been given to him through the church. The tangible and literal body of Christ here on earth. And he's given us this responsibility. So we are to go make disciples. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Go. That's open-ended. This go doesn't mean go on a mission trip. I'll go on a mission trip. That's when I'll make disciples. This go means anywhere and everywhere that you go. You're going places when you leave here. They're all open fields to God's work. When you go home with your family, with your friends, with your classmates, your neighbors, your coworkers, when you go make disciples of all people, of all nations, baptizing them, which speaks of conversion, which speaks of witnessing, which speaks of evangelism. Share the life of Christ. Share what he has done in your life. Witness, testify to what God has done. We overcome, we overcome by the word of our testimony, it says in Revelation. And teach them. Show them the way of Christ, not just by word, but also by how you live. Be like Paul where he ends up saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, baptizing them, teaching them. And then in verse 20, we get this beautiful promise. 
Not only are we encouraged by the fact that all authority has been given to Jesus, which tells us that we're engaging in a mission that cannot fail, even though sometimes on the outside looking in, it looks like it's failing, but it cannot fail because all authority has been given to him, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, the mission of the, prevail against the mission of the church. That enough is encouraging for us to go. But if that's not enough, he says, and I will be with you. I will be with you, the Spirit. I will give the Holy Spirit to be with you as you go. He will give you the words to say. He will open up the doors for you to go. Are you going to be available for that? Are you going to be open to saying yes? Are you going to be all in? I will be with you. That encourages me more than you know. Because a couple of weeks ago, as we laid out kind of this big picture of how we're going to reach the next generation, we were reminded in Zechariah chapter 4 that it's not by might, it's not by our effort or our strength or our resources, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord. We are able to be a discipler only through the power of the Holy Spirit. That tells me a lot, that it's not about me, it's not about my competency. It's not about how good I am. It's not about how much I know. It's not about how much scripture I've memorized. Even though all of those things matter, what matters is, am I willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm open. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to go where you go. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to talk to whoever you're asking me to talk to. Yes, Lord, yes. And I know it's scary. And I know we can come up with so many different excuses and reasons why we don't do this. I don't know enough. My kids intimidate me. Culture's scary. But friends, when you feel like you just don't know how to share Jesus with your kids, when they ask you questions that are like, ooh, I don't know if I know the answer to that one. Or when your friends ask you questions, your colleagues ask you questions, Trust Jesus that he's with you to do it. He's with you. Just simply start talking. Just start sharing. He can even take our foolish words and make them wise. He's that good. When you feel like you don't fit into culture because, quite frankly, you don't, and you don't know how to enter into that conversation, pray for God to open up a way for you to go. He will. You just have to walk into it. When you feel inadequate in helping other people understand Jesus, trust that Jesus wants this to happen more than you want it to happen. We just have to be willing to go. The heartbeat of Christianity it's not about what we can get out of it. It's not a consumer market of goods. It's about loving him with our everything and realizing when we do that, he's going to lead us then to being a discipler, to do what he's asked us to do, to do the very things that he himself has done. And that's why I love the vision that he's given us because we want to be the movement. Well, how do you become a movement? It's through people who say yes. It's through people who say yes to Jesus. We want to saturate the city with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope of this world. And how are we going to do that? Well, we have to be developing disciples. We have to take on that responsibility as people who are part of the family of God. That's on us. That's our responsibility. 
And I want to talk to you why this is so important, the last little piece about the merging generations. Why is this so important? Why is it so important for us to take this responsibility seriously? Why is it so important for us to understand that there's other generations that have gone before and other generations that are coming up behind? Makes me think of something that just like dawned on me this morning that I was like, man, almost all of the New Testament is really about discipleship. It's what it means to be a disciple, and it's also talking about how to be a discipler over and over and over. One of the metaphors that we see used in the New Testament for this concept of discipleship is of running a race. And I'm going to argue and change it a little bit. It's running a relay race. Okay, so as I was thinking about that, it, it reminded me of um, the 2000, 2004, and 2008 Olympic Games. Okay, some of you remember this. Some of you are like, I wasn't even born in 2000. Totally fine. You'll track In 2000 and 2004 and 2008, the USA women's track and field team, specifically the 4x100 meter meter relay race team, they were known to be some of the fastest women on the planet. They were hard training. They were feared. They were supposed to take gold by a long shot, right? Unfortunately, in 2000, in the Sydney Olympic Games, the women's 4x100 relay race team shocked the world, not by winning, but by completely losing. They didn't even place, simply do a sloppy baton exchange in the last leg of the relay race. It was absolutely devastating. Here was a team that trained for years, dieted for years, ran and ran and ran, beat their bodies so that in this minute of time, they would become gold Olympic champions. But in the last leg... They lost it. So 2004 comes. Now it's the uh, Athens Summer Games, and they were supposed to, again, be the team to be beat. They were trained hard. They were feared, the fastest runners known at the time in the world. And again, the, war, the media built this up like, this is the year of redemption for the women's relay race team. Guess what? Faulty ex- baton exchange again in the last leg. 20 meters. 20 meters, that's all it is. Well, then 2008, here we go again. This USA women's four, uh, 100 by four, four, you know what I'm saying. They were on the top to win again by a long shot. And again, they dropped a baton in the exchange zone. I, think about it for a second. The reason why I bring it up is because it didn't matter how fast these women were. It didn't even really matter how fast their leg of the relay race was. It didn't even matter like how much they trained because it's all, what matters is what happens in that exchange zone. In those quick few seconds in that 20 meter section is where the victory lies. If that baton exchange doesn't go well, they will lose. Nobody wins the race until the final runner passes the finish line with a baton. So you could say that passing of the baton is what matters most in the relay race. Discipleship. Could it not be said that in the church, the passing of the baton is the most vital aspect of our faith as well, outside of believing in Jesus? Like, 
that in the church there's an exchange zone as well where we must pass on this baton of faith from one person to another person, from one generation to another generation. And right now in the church and in our culture, we are seeing an exchange zone generationally speaking right now. And at some point, every single one of us who follows Jesus, every generation at some point is going to have to determine how they're going to run this race. They have to determine how they will pass that baton on. And let me ask you the question. What is the most important thing you can pass on to other people? Like, don't... Like, give me the honest answer. Don't give me the Sunday school answer because you're in church. Like, what is the most important thing you can pass on? Parents, grandparents, what is the most important thing you can pass on to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren? If you get one moment with people, what is the most important thing to leave a mark on? What is the most important thing you can pass on to your friends and colleagues, classmates? Is it not our faith in Jesus is it not our love for Jesus? How will you run? And I love the picture we get in Hebrews chapter 12. In chapter 11, in the letter of Hebrews, we get this, this like biography of different heroes of faith. And it says in chapter 11, verse, one of the verses towards the end, that they were all commended for their faith. And somehow, some way, they weren't able to receive all of the blessing and promises that were there. Look at verse 39. In all of these, all of these folks, they were commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, which is the gospel, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It's almost as if to say, like, there's an interconnection between them and us, apart from us. The race is won. Think of the relay race. The race is won when the runner passes the finish line with the baton. These folks in chapter 11 of Hebrews, they ran the race. And that's why I love how it starts out in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There are some important words there. Let us also. There's, there's a race set before you right now and it was a race that you didn't choose. You might be running a race of your own choosing, but there's a race that God set before you. He's caused you to live in a time like this. He's caused you to live here in Austin, Texas. He's caused you to be in relationship with the people that are in your life. There's a race set before you, and we have this cloud of witnesses. I just went to my first Austin FC game. Crazy. I never knew that there's this thing called this, the supporter section. This is totally random. It's just coming to my head. The whole game. The whole game, they're beating drums, blowing horns, waving flags. Crazy. The whole game, they're cheering. This cloud of witnesses is our supporter section. Looking down, saying, you can do this. Run. He's faithful. This church is a 100-year-old church. There's a cloud of witnesses just in this church that have passed on the baton of faith faithfully to the next generation. And now it's our turn to run the race that's been set before us. Let us also... 
There's a race that God set before you. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he's passionate about the race. And he like, starts to go down this road. He's like, I want to win as many people as I possibly can. I want to influence as many people as I possibly can. So that, that means like to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. To the weak, I became a weak. To the slave, I became like, like he's like, I'm going to become all things to all people so that I might win some of them. So that they might see Jesus. And he goes on. He's like, I don't run aimlessly. I run with purpose. And this is what I want to challenge you with right now is that there's a race that God has set before us as a church in, in front of you individually. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will always lead you right there. Always. What will you do with that responsibility that God's calling you to do? Let us lay aside every weight What are the weights in your life that are slowing you down? What are the weights in your life that are distracting you? If you say you're too busy to do the things of God, that might be a weight. It might not be a sin. It could be a sin, but it might be a weight. Things that consume the attention where you have no more margin. Like you go, oh, there's prayer and worship on Wednesday. Ah, I just don't have that. Like, that's an important time for the church. But what, what about the sins that so easily entangle us, that trip us up, the things that go unconfessed in our own lives? How are you going to run the race that's there? Let us determine how we're going to run. Lay aside the weights. What are the things that are slowing you down from fulfilling the responsibility that God has called you to do? Dealing with the sin in your life. But the best way you can determine to run is what Paul says is let, let's focus on Jesus. Let's set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. AOC, listen, I, I'm truly not trying to be dramatic, but I do believe that we are in that exchange zone. How will we run? And one of the things that we try to do as a church to encourage this, to stimulate the heartbeat of discipleship is to provide these opportunities like we do, we're going to do on October 17th with Celebration Sunday. It's the perfect opportunity for us to invite people who may not come normally on a Sunday morning to just see the family of God loving each other and seeing it in action and enjoying some time and laughter with each other, but then hearing and seeing the stories of life change through Jesus. So we want to provide you an opportunity to think through, like, how can you run this race? Like, how can you uphold that responsibility that God has given you? I believe with every fiber of my being that there are people in your lives that right now God might be asking you to disciple. I believe that with all my heart. And that doesn't mean they need to be a Christian because part of it is go make disciples and baptizing them. So what we want to do as we wrap up this service is on your seats, there's this card. And if you've been with us for some time, you know what we're going to do. But I want to encourage you to do this. Every, I do believe all of us should do this without exception. And as we sing this last song, I just want you to pray and ask God simply, who is it, God, that you would have me move towards? 
who is it that you would want me to invite? And what we want to do in this time is just write down those names, and you can tear it off, keep the top, and use that as an opportunity to just to hand out as an invitation to someone. But when you have those names written down and during this last song, just come on up. We're not going to prompt you. Just come up on your own and lay these names down up here, and we're going to use this as an altar. And then towards the end, we're going to pray over these names. And we're going to pray for God to give us opportunities to move towards them. So Lord, I thank you for your word and your heart. God, and I know that um, a lot of times I know in my own weakness I can be more of a fire hydrant and just shoot out a bunch of words. And Lord, I'm thankful that your spirit is the one that's alive and active and your spirit is the one that can pierce the heart. And so God, I just ask that you would take the words and challenge us that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. God, I pray that we would take this responsibility of discipleship seriously. Lord, that when we start thinking about how to see the emerging generations fall in love with Jesus, it really is about exchanging the baton of faith on. It's about us determining how we're going to run the race that you set before us. It's about us laying aside the weights that slow us down and dealing with the sin that trips us up. Lord, I ask that you would keep our eyes focused on Jesus, running straight ahead, looking to you, the author, the beginner, and the perfecter and finisher of our faith. So God, I pray now that you would put the names of your sons and daughters who you are drawing and bringing home and, and, and fighting for, Lord. I pray that you would put them on our hearts. God, and as we lay them before your feet, God, we just pray that you would begin to move and to act according to your good purpose. In Christ's name.